All right, John chapter 1. When I read this, I just kind of imagined myself, what, if, what would I do if I were to see Jesus coming down from a hill in my path? Would I drop everything that I'm doing to just follow him? Uh, the strength of his disciples, in my opinion, is pretty admirable. Uh, but that just goes to the power of the Spirit of Jesus Christ and what he can do when he um, the way he impacts people's lives and everything like that. But here we go, John chapter 1. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again and the two disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? Come. He replied, and now you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Jesus calls Philip and Nathaniel. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. Then Jesus saw Nathanael approaching and said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know of me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He, add, he then added, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's say our scripture declaration together. Lord, we honor your word to us. May your truth become our heart's pursuit and our life's practice. No, here you go. Anniversary picture. Mm -hmm. 23 years. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I love my wife. <laughs> I mean, she is the center of my universe. Well, I guess God is the center of my universe, but she'd be more like Mercury. I'm really not good with geography. <laughs> mm -hmm. Hear me, world. I am blessed, and I love this lady. I love her, I love her, I love her, I love her. She has more character in her pinky than I do my whole body. And I've been told I'm a character. Uh-huh. She's seen my feet. Oh? And she still loves me. My mom still makes me wear socks when I go into her house. Even in the summer, flip-flop season, socks. <laughs> and she gets more and more beautiful year after year. And I know it's not about the outside. Because her heart, oh, it's amazing. She still makes me laugh. <laughs> still takes my breath away. And at the end of the day, she's the one I want to see. Yeah. She's my person. I love her. Have you told her? Hmm? Have you told her all of that? Have you not been listening to what I've said? So you haven't told her? She knows. How? I asked her to marry me, didn't I? <laughs> this speaks louder than words. What a lucky lady she is. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. Well, today we are closing down the Communicate uh, teaching series, but hopefully this has been something that's been an encouragement, something that you've learned a little bit from. It's about reaching those you love the most. And it's not just simply uh, husbands and wives, it is others as well. It is uh, your kids, it is your, uh, maybe your parents or your extended family. Lots and lots of people need to hear from you and from me the way that we feel about them and the fact that we love them. I've been sharing a lot of information from this book that is up here on the screen. It is called Crucial Conversations, and there's a lot of things that we're even going to kind of be rewinding and reviewing as we kind of bring this to a close. But it's talking about a crucial conversation, which is defined as one that has opinions that vary, where stakes are high, or where emotions are running strong. These are the things that come into a crucial conversation and this is a great book. If you're into audiobooks, I believe it is about seven or eight hours long. Um, that I don't know exactly how many uh, pages that kind of uh, translates into, but it is a book that is worth uh, reading. Yes, we do need to send the kids to the back. I'm sorry, I forgot about that. Sometimes I forget about that. T uh, kids, you are dismissed to go on to the back and uh, be a part of the classes back there. They almost had to listen to me. All of the kids just breathed a deep sigh of relief. They were like... Whew, thank you. All right. So in this book, there was something that was so powerful to me and a story that really uh, shook me a little bit. And I wanted to just share it one more time with you. I shared it with you the very first week that we had, but it talked about a medical procedure. And this is not meant or intended to freak you out. But in this one particular medical procedure, a woman ended up going into the hospital to have her tonsils removed. And at the end of the time, she came away with part of her foot being gone. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd rather lose a part of my tonsils than my foot. And in this situation, the thing that made it the most tragic is, is that there were at least, ready for it, 
seven people that knew that the doctor should not be messing on that side of the operating table, but instead needed to be on this side of the operating table. But guess how many said something? Zero. You see, the difficult thing for us is that when things get difficult for us to say, when we don't know exactly how to say them, when we know that stakes are high, we know that things could get awkward if things don't go as well as we think they you know, possibly could, we have a problem that we just clam up and shut down. And so for many of us, whenever we go silent, we think we're winning. But as I have said last week and many other times before, this is not original with me. This is something that they will tell you, those who are communication experts, they will tell you that most people do not equate silence for positive things, but instead they read into those negative things. In other words, whenever you go silent, most of the time people take that as frustration, aggravation, anger, or even hate. It can even go that far. And so we've got to be very, very careful that we are speaking and speaking life every chance we get. I began this message series Uh, This is today's the fourth uh, installment. In the very first installment, we talked about how John writes the passage of Scripture at the very beginning of his gospel. And he basically says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so if you've read that passage of Scripture and not fully understood what it meant, the idea is logos, which is the way that we uh, translate the Greek word Word. It is simply not just word, though. It is instead the divine reason that's implicit in the cosmos, ordering it, giving it form, giving it meaning. And it harkens back to when God spoke into the void, creating the heavens and the earth with no more than a what word from him. So let me sit here for just a minute with you. In the darkness and in the void, of our lives, we need to hear words that shed and bring light. Do you guys understand what I'm saying here? So in God's word, when he is referred to as the the Holy One, the, the Son of God and the Word, this is our reminder that there is a creation that comes about when we start speaking. And if you don't believe me, I promise you, if you want to go to the negative, which is always kind of more accelerated, I promise you, you go home and start criticizing somebody and they will get really shut down really fast or really aggressive back towards you really fast. Why? Because words are creating the negative side. Or if you're going to try to build something into your new you know, direction or life that needs to go in a new direction, you'd better start speaking about it as well as following it up with actions. It's word. It creates things from nothing, literally, always has and always will. And so it's so important. And we talked a little bit, and I'm kind of going to do a little bit of a, a review. We talked about a losing philosophy versus a winning philosophy. Last week, we talked about a losing philosophy that's up here on the screen. If you believe that action equals reaction, then you have not a lot of hope 
Because basically, if you are angry and somebody presses a button and you react, you've got no shot at making any kind of change, intervention, or choosing a different direction in your life. If you're a person who says, hey, when somebody says this, somebody does this, somebody treats me this way, or I feel this way, then I react and I can't change it, then probably you never will. But I'm here to tell you that that's not actually how you believe. Just like I shared last week with you, there have been people that cut you off in traffic. And yes, you got very angry and maybe many times got really frustrated, started yelling, screaming, doing all those things that you do. But ultimately, there have been days where you say, you know what? I'm just not going to let that person have any space in my head today. I'm just going to let it go and release it. Why? Because the truth is the winning philosophy says there is an action and then a decision and then a reaction. It's not just simply action, reaction, action, reaction, because we can choose a different path for our life. And so you and I, we know this We just need to put it into practice and implement it. Now, let's keep moving here real quickly. I want to share this something to learn one more time, and that is about today's lesson. When the Lord met Peter, he changed his name. Did you guys hear that whenever Paul was reading? You may or may not have paid attention to it, but whenever he changed his name, he said, you will be called Cephas or Peter That's two different ones. One is in Aramaic and one is in Greek. But basically, they mean the same thing. It means rock. And so we don't know exactly why, but having not met him before, Jesus' words must have made a deep and immediately made an impact on Peter. And then we later see the same impact on Nathaniel. In other words, it's like this. Let Let me ask you, have you ever had somebody who came to you and said something to you And when they said it, it's just like, I've wanted somebody to say that in that way for a long time, and you're the only one who ever has. Now, I don't think that you've ever said that, but it's felt that way. Have we all had that experience at least once in our life where somebody just said something, and it just was like, fit perfectly in exactly what we needed to hear, the exact way, the exact right time? Here's what I believe. Here's what I believe. This is not in the scriptures. This is speculation on my part. This is my, I'm going to call it a sanctified imagination if y'all allow me to do that, okay? So my sanctified imagination, I see Peter walking towards him and Jesus says, your name is Simon, but I'm going to rename you and I'm going to call you from this point forward, Peter, which means rock. Now, I don't know about y'all. But you could call me rock anytime. I mean, rock, you know, it's just like manly. It's awesome. It's like, oh, yeah, that's what I want to be. I want to be solid. You know, that ladies, I don't know if y'all feel this way. I don't think y'all do necessarily. You want to be steadfast and true and all those things. But guys were like, call me the rock. You know, I mean, not that you're a professional wrestler or a uh, movie star actor or a guy on steroids or anything like that. Sorry. What did I call it? Did I call it wrong? I mean, come on now. So here it is. It's not that. It's instead the rock that you want to be, the faithful, the true, the immovable, the right guy at the right time. And when Peter walks in, I don't think he ever felt that way. And Jesus sees something in him and says, from this point forward, you're going to be different. Now, here's where I want to slow down again and just ask you, Have you ever spoken into anybody's life like that? 
Has anybody ever spoken into your life like that? Listen, what you used to be does not have to be who you are from this point forward. I'd say today, let's let you be the rock that is different, steadfast, not moving, being faithful, being the anchor point. And who is the leader whenever Jesus is taken? We're about to enter into Holy Week and things like that, and Easter's about to come on. And as all this stuff happens, who do all the disciples look to whenever Jesus is not around as their leader? Who is it, you guys? Who is it? It's Peter. Why? Because he is the rock that is needed. Now, I believe, I told you again, this is my belief. I believe that Jesus calls to us and sees us for what we are capable of being and calls us towards that thing that we can achieve rather than simply our worst failures and our worst moments. When he sees me, he sees more of rock than, you know, (laughs) a wilting flower or something like that. He sees the positive that I can possibly be when I'm at my best. And he calls that into me, and he calls it out of me, and he brings me towards those things, and he does the same for you. Now, I'm sorry, I'm just talking about this from a guy's perspective, but ladies, I don't know exactly what you would love to hear when Jesus calls your name and what he would like for you to be, you know, whatever that would be. But Jesus does this not only for Peter, but he also does this for Nathaniel. He's speaking to them at the very core of who they are and speaking to them about the hopes that they want to be as people. Are you guys all with me? Can I get an amen if y'all are with me? Y'all with me? Amen? Okay, so real quickly, here's what I ask you. If you've wanted somebody to do that for you at least once or twice or 20 times in your life, who have you done that for? What is their name? And what did you say? And how often do you remind them of who they are? And who they could be? And the best that they could be and forgiving those mistakes that they have made in the past and calling them and saying, baby, you don't even realize it yet, but you are a leader. You don't even realize it yet, but you will be a blessing all of your life. You don't even see it yet, but I already see in you that you have an intellect where you will be a blessing to God and God's kingdom all of your life if you will just follow him. Who have you said something like that to? Who have you called out what is best in in a long, long time? Who has it been? And if it hasn't been somebody, who are you waiting to do that for somebody that you love? Like, if it's not you, who's it going to be? Like, I... (laughs) Y'all know that I'm having a grandbaby. Y'all know that I mention it every single time that y'all come to church. I'm sorry if y'all are done with this. We're excited about it. Shelly has already packed a go bag. Y'all know what that is, right? I don't know if she's running from the law or running to Oklahoma City. I don't know. Maybe a little of both. I know she, when she drives, she's the one who's more likely to get tickets these days. But I just, I just shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said that. Y'all pray for our marriage. shouldn't have communicated that, but yes, it is true. Here is the truth. I'm going to let her drive when we go up that way. When I hold that baby 
for the first time. I don't know what I will say and I don't know what I will do, but I will say before he can even understand my words, he's going to hear from me that God has created him for a purpose and that God has a plan and he's here according to God's plan and whatever he faces, he can overcome with God's help. You know why? Because that's my job as a granddad. By the way, you can call me G for G Paul. That's what I'm going to be called. <clears throat> trying, I'm trying so hard to be cool, y'all. It's trying so hard, and it's a lot of work. I just want to encourage you, with all jokes aside and all kidding aside, if you want somebody to do that for your son, if you want somebody to do that for your daughter, if you want somebody to do that for your granddaughter or your grandson, if you want somebody to do that in a friend's life who doesn't have somebody doing that, why in the world do you think it's somebody else's job and not yours? Like, why? God put you there for a reason. Let's keep moving here. I'm sorry, I, I've spent longer time there. But here's what I would say. I think we're supposed to use our words to speak love and to speak a legacy for both ourselves and for others. And here's what I mean. I, I said yourself. Here's what I mean by this. I've had a couple of opportunities over the last couple of weeks to share in a memorial service. The people that I spoke about left a legacy. They left a legacy. And it still resonates even though they are gone. What I would say to you and to me is when I'm gone... Whenever that happens, whether that's tomorrow, 20 years, 40 years from now, whatever it might be and anywhere in between, I want my legacy that I left to be, you know what? Randy spoke life into people's lives. He was not there to tear them down or beat them up. He was there to speak life. He spoke full of grace and full of truth as Jesus was, never shutting down the grace, but never shutting down the truth either. He was full of both, a very difficult thing to do. But you can do that. You can leave a legacy for yourself, but you can also call out a legacy in those that you love. You can do that. And it's so important, but it all begins with your words. And you may be saying, Randy, you're a guy who loves words clearly, <laughs> right? You don't mind talking. Clearly, right? Okay, I get that. So here's what I would say. If it takes you an hour and a half to craft a eight-line eight text message, do that and make sure it's great and then send it. You know, because ultimately the great thing is, is that, you know, especially with these younger generations of kids, you can text them and they think it's just as good as speaking to them almost, you know. And, and, and you don't have to be great with your words to be able to say how you feel. You just have to be consistent and do that on and on and on. And I just was talking about this earlier. I wanted to talk about this thing that Paul read earlier. This passage of scripture, when John the Baptist is there, sees two of his disciples, John the Baptist's disciples. They've been following him up to this point. But if you remember, John the Baptist said, I didn't come so people would follow me. I came so that I could turn them to God and especially his Messiah that I'm the forerunner of. I'm the guy who's declaring he's coming. 
But I want you to notice, I, I even highlighted them in different colors, the different times where the words that are being spoken put a person in a new direction and a new legacy begins in these things that have been said. And so when two of his disciples you know, were there with him, he saw Jesus passing by and he, John the Baptist, said, look, the Lamb of God. And then his two disciples heard him say those words and then they followed who? Jesus. The very thing that he wanted to see done, he accomplished with his words. And then he goes on, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two people that was there that heard John say this, and they'd followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to go and find his brother, Simon, Simon Peter, and he, what, told him. We found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. That's the passages of scripture kind of condensed down, but notice these different people saying different things that are setting in motion this legacy that's going to be left, this person that's going to become the, the cornerstone of the church, all because of the men who are being faithful to say what they should say in the moments that they should say it. Whether that's a man or a woman, it still is true for us today. Now, let's go very quickly. Jesus had hard conversations. You may be saying, well, Randy, you don't understand. Hey, I'm, I'm not this love all the time kind of guy. I can be kind of rough and I can be a little harsh or whatever. The truth of the matter is, is that is okay if you never turn down the grace. Remember, we talked about full of grace and full of truth. You can turn down the truth and the grace, but you can't turn one so far up that the other doesn't matter. You have to be full of grace and full of truth in, other, in, in order for other people to hear you. Let's go to our next slide, if you don't mind. Um, here we see Jesus had hard conversations with Nicodemus, where he said, you're Israel's teacher. You don't even understand what I'm saying to you? What about the woman at the well, where he said, you know what? Go call your husband. And she says, uh, I don't really have a husband. He said, no, that's true. You actually have five husbands. And the one that you're with now is not even your husband. What you've said is very true. That's what he said. That's a pretty hard thing to say. What about Mary and Martha when they had their brother Lazarus that died in John chapter 11? They said, Jesus, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. That's a hard conversation. What about Peter when he was warned of his denial in John chapter 13? He said, you know what? You're going to deny me. Just to let you know. You think you're going to be a person who follows me to the end of the world. I promise you that's not even going to happen. As a matter of fact, even before tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times. Hard conversation. And then Peter reinstated after his denial in John 21. Jesus seeks him out and says, come over here, Peter. I want to talk to you. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. You've denied me three times. Now you've reaffirmed three times that you love me. Hard conversation. It's not difficult to have a hard conversation if the person knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that you love them and that you literally want the very best for them in every single thing. You've probably just got a disagreement on how to reach that point. But until they know that you love them above all things... The truth can be like a sword that you're pushing them away. Jesus did hard conversations and they still loved him. And almost every single one of these people, not everyone, but almost every single one of them 
affirmed that they followed him later after these hard conversations had been happening. He didn't chase them off with the hard things. He communicated them uh, to them the things that he needed to, and they loved him for it. Let's keep moving. Let's go to our next slide here. And this is something about how to communicate well. And uh, you can just see most every single thing of this is from the Crucial Conversations book. All of these different things from last week. This is all from the last few weeks that we've been talking about. Six different ways, whether that's making the emotional bank deposit, changing the stories that you tell yourself, starting with heart, with never stop reminding yourself what you really, really want, resisting that fight, flight, or freeze impulse, rejecting that fool's belief that it's either they win or I win. It's I win and they lose or they win and I lose. No, no, that's the fool's belief because both of you can actually win even when you disagree. And then you have to reestablish safety or respect with that person. Now, I'm going to throw you a little curveball. This whole thing has been about communicating, right? This whole thing has been about communicating. Now, here's the crazy question that I didn't even realize until I started preparing for today's message. You ready for it? Tell me one of these things that has to do with how you talk to somebody. We've done three weeks on communication. Do you know how many of these actually have addressed how to talk to somebody? Not a single one of them. You see it? You guys see that? Now, this was not planned. I wish I could tell you that this was planned, but this has been the book that I've been reading. This has been the things that I've been learning and things that I've been sharing with you. And it's interesting to think about when you want to talk about communicating well, the first thing that you want to say, the first thing that I want to say is, tell me what to say, (laughs) right? Tell me what to say. What is this telling us? Let's go to our next slide. Every single one of these things is the truth. It's the truth. That we think, how we feel, what we motivate ourselves with whenever we're going through all of this stuff. All of it matters in here first. And then eventually today, we'll talk about a couple of strategies about how we speak. Very quickly, all of those, all of those things that we communicate well, they're all beginning here before we begin to open our mouths in the first place. Let's go to our next slide. Okay. Do you guys remember last week we talked a little bit about the stories that we tell ourselves? This is a hard, hard thing to listen to, but we all tell stories in our minds. We're the victim, and they're the villain, and it was helpless, that fool's belief that there was no way around this problem. But the truth is, is that if we can come to these clever stories as they term them in crucial conversations, if we can talk about being the victim or being the villain or facing these villains or thinking that everything is happening to us in our lives, we can actually begin to make changes. And here's what I want to share with you. Let's go to our next slide. Every person must battle against the tendency to believe that in a disagreement, your feelings are facts. We all tell ourselves these internal stories, but they are not actual facts. Take just a second here. Can I tell you something? I've seen this in real life. I spoke to somebody, and I spoke to this individual, and I know exactly what I said because I was very, very careful and very, very cautious with the words that I shared. 
It was a very, very crucial conversation and very, very difficult. I spoke to this individual and then later spoke to their spouse. And I said, what happened when the conversation was relayed? And that individual said, this is what they told me. Can I tell you what happened? I did not say a single word that I was attributed that day. They told instead their feelings in that moment as what I had said with my words. It was not true, but it was true. If you guys understand, can, can I see your hands real quick? Y'all understand what I'm saying? It wasn't true, but it was true. It wasn't true that I said it, but it was true that in that moment and the way that they felt leaving, they believed it to be an actuality. It's hard to ever get anywhere if you make your internal stories about someone else the facts that you are basing your life on. Hard stuff. They're not actual facts. And this stuff can be critical and crucial. I'm telling you, it can ruin things. Now, I want to just give a couple of examples. Let's go to our next slide. Um, this is your beloved daughter who happens to be 13 years old. She has told you that the reason that she deserves a curfew of 2.30 a.m. is because of her boyfriend getting off at, you know, 2.30 when he's done as a bouncer at the bar. Okay? You know what I'm saying? Okay. He's like, how old is this guy? He's 32. You know, I mean, you're like, so dad, you should not be angry with me for wanting to date this guy. He's awesome. And you're like, no, he's not awesome. He's a criminal, right? I mean, you can't date a 13-year-old when you're 32. I'm sorry, you just can't do that. And she says to you, why do you hate me? Right? Now, Teenagers, if you're here and listening or if you're listening online later, I know this is not you. All right, I get it. Just an over-exaggeration for effect. And this young lady says to you, you hate me. And how many of you know that you do not hate her in that moment? You just want what is best for her. But in the moment, her feelings are the facts. And you hate her. You see how dangerous this can be. Now, I'm going to go a little further, and now I'm going to make it a little more uncomfortable. Let's go to our next slide. We do this as adults, person to person, whether it's in our extended family, or we do this at work or whatever it might be. When they're distant, he or she is having an affair. When they're quiet, he or she doesn't like me. We tell ourselves these stories and then we watch to see what proves us right. It's our internal stories. We've got to be very careful that we do not equate our feelings with what? Facts. If you can get away from this internal story and make it accurate, then you can actually communicate but this is a hard thing. But can I tell you something? This is a life-changing thing if you can do this. Because most people tell their feelings as facts. It's dangerous. Let's go to our next slide. 
Okay. Words to influence the legacy. Let's go back to John chapter 1 and all the different times that the words influence the legacy. When John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God, and then he told the story I didn't know who this man was, but when I saw the spirit descending on him like a dove, that's when I knew this was the man that God had sent me to tell you to follow. You guys hear on that? Go back and read that in John chapter one. What about Andrew to Peter? We have found the Christ. Come and see. And what about Jesus to Peter? You're no longer Simon, but you will be called Peter. You are now going to be a different man. You're going to be a rock. And then Jesus later to Nathaniel, here is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Now, I don't know what Nathaniel felt. I don't know Nathaniel very well, even from the scriptures. We don't know a ton about him, but this we do know when Jesus spoke to him and said, I see you and I know you, and you are a man who is good to the core. You're a man who values truth. I see you. I understand you. I don't think that Nathaniel was one of those who just saw this thing that happened, but I think that Jesus spoke to him and touched him in a way that was different. Let's go to our next slide, and we're going to read that passage about that interaction real quickly. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law, about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Y'all, y'all understand? Back in those days, Nazareth was kind of like, um, it was the backwater. It was the nowheresville. It was the backwoods, backcountry part of Israel. And so whenever he said, are you kidding me? Some great individual is going to come from a little bitty backwater town that nobody wants to be from, a place called Nazareth. And anything good ever come from Nazareth? He's like, oh yeah, well, come and see. And then when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, Jesus said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And then he goes on, he says in our next slide, how do you know me? <laughs> and I, I, I made that a little larger so you would see that in that moment where he said, how do you know me? Jesus knew him and he knows you. Nathaniel asked him, how do you know me? And Jesus says, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip even called you. And then Nathaniel declares, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. I think I have always read this passage up until this week thinking this. Just did a little smoke and mirrors and he was ready to throw in everything. He was just so easily, you know, persuaded. But here's what I believe now. Here's what my mind has changed I believe that the way that I mentioned this earlier and the way that it feels when God speaks your name, when he touches you in a way that can't really be explained but can be felt and does change you forever, I think that's what happened first. And he was like, how do you know me? How do you know that that would touch me? How do you know that the truth means that much to me? And he says, no, I, I, I knew you. I knew you before you were even called and invited to come and see me. And he went from a man who said, can anything good come from Nazareth? To saying, you are the son of God. And I don't think it happened just because he said, I saw you under a fig tree. I think he said, no, you speak to me in a way 
(laughs) that nobody else does. So this is again where I remind you. Every one of us has an opportunity to speak to someone in a way that no one else can. And I guess the only question is, will you? So let's keep moving here very quickly. And I want to just kind of talk about these things and share them with you. (laughs) When halfway through an argument, you realize you misunderstood and you actually agree with them, that face grows on me. The longer I see it, the more I'm like, that is exactly how I feel. (laughs) If you've been married long enough to have an argument when you agreed with everything your wife or husband says, can I get an amen? Like, how long have you been married, right? All right, well, maybe it's just me and Shelly. Okay, well, whatever. Uh, yes, we've had arguments where we agreed with the exact same thing that the other person said. We just were saying them in different ways. This is the way it goes. The truth is, <laughs> thank you, one of you. All right, one of you who is honest. In him is no deceit. All right, very good. So let's keep moving here as we keep moving. Our next slide, it shares this with us. You state your intent and your intensity, and then you share your street corner. I want to talk about these two things as we do close this and bring this to an end. How do we state our intent and intensity? And I want to shout out Peter Robinson for sharing these two tools where we move from all of this internal and begin to actually let it come out of our mouths. First, we state our intent and our intensity. And I will just tell you, yes, we have had the arguments before when we actually agreed, but this is something that helps so much. How many times has someone ever said words to you and you think they're going this direction and they're actually going that? Y'all have had that happen. Lots. Well, Here is my intent. I don't want to solve this. I just want to talk about this. I don't want an answer. I just want to have somebody listen to me. This is my intent. You guys here? Okay, so let's go to our next slide very quickly, and it'll kind of give you some... You state your intent. I'm just thinking out loud. I'm just venting. I want to brainstorm with you or whatever it might be. These are the ideas that you're just... Hey, I just want to talk about these things and get them through. That's your intent. And if you've ever had a wife or a husband who said, you know what? I don't need an answer, but I just need you to listen. I just need a listening ear. I don't know about you, but I always go, I almost go, whew, all right, all right. I know exactly where we're going and what we're doing. I also know I don't need an opinion. And I also know if I have an opinion, I need to shut up about my said opinion. It prevents the argument. Anyway, all right, let's keep moving here. How do you state your intent and your intensity? Here's your intensity. This is a hill. I'm dying on this hill before I give up this. And I will just say, I have actually said this to my wife. This is a hill I'm dying on. I am not changing my mind. But that has been very, very, very seldom. Because just like the boy who cried wolf, if everything is a hill that you're dying on, you're going to die really quickly, right? Okay, this is the truth. I actually did. I said, no, 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 no. I feel 1,000% passionate about this, and I see it in a different way, and I just can't see us going a different way. I'm dying on this hill. We're not going in a different direction. 
The one below that is, this is really, really important to me. And then the one below that is, hey, I'm 70-30 on this, or I'm 60-40, or I'm 50-50, whatever, you know, on this. Or the best one is the last one. You know what, I don't, I don't really have an opinion here. It doesn't matter that much to me. Because sometimes, even when you don't have an opinion, it can become something that's an argument just simply because you had an issue and you want to win. I know that none of y'all are that immature, but there are people out there asking for a friend kind of thing, right? So ultimately, this is how you state your intensity. Hey, this is my thing, and I feel really passionate. Or, you know, it doesn't really matter. I'm going to let you choose, let you decide. A lot of the time, you're going in different directions where you're dying on the hill, and they don't necessarily think that it's totally important. And so you just state your intent and your intensity. Let's go to our next slide. Very quickly, how do you share your street corner? Here's what I love about this. Let's go to our next slide, and I've shared this with you guys. If an eyewitness to a hit and run said, man, they came from the right and they kept going to the left, that works if you're standing where the blue arrow indicates. But if you are standing where the red arrow indicates, you are in direct opposition. No, no, no. They didn't come from the right and keep going to the left. They came from the left and keep going right. And guess what? Here's what's insane. They are both 100% correct. But they are also both 100% in opposition to one another. And this is where many of us get stuck. We're arguing about stuff when we're actually saying the same things, believing the same things, wanting the same things, but we're bogged down in the details. And if I can ever come to you and I say, let me share with you where my street corner is. And here's what that means in real life. Let's go to our next slide. You share your street corner to open dialogue. You talk about feelings, fears, motives, and other things like that. In other words, you say, well, it's been my experience when we do this, then it always leads to that. And so you want to chat, and I'm freezing up because my street corner is, I can give you three examples when we sat down to chat, and then it ended up being these three things. You see what I'm saying? So you share, it's been my experience. Or you can even go deep and say, you know what? When I dealt with, when I grew up, makes me really sensitive to this kind of stuff. And by the way, husbands and wives, be the protector for your spouse and for your kids. Like if they've gone through something, that's not your job to poke on them and say, this is your problem, this is your problem, this is your problem. Be the one who says, let me help you and protect you in that. You can say, I do want or I don't want this thing for you. You know, I, sweetie, <laughs> you're 13. You think you're in love with this 32-year-old man. He is nothing but trouble for you. That's why your curfew is still 6.30 p.m., right? <laughs> I don't want that for you. I do want this for you, and this changes everything. And then fourth, I'm afraid that if blank happens, then later we won't be able to. Because sometimes we're worried about four decisions down the road so we don't even get started on the road. 
Y'all, you understand what I'm saying? So ultimately, how do you communicate and feel like you're not shut down every single time? You state your intent, your intensity, and then you share your street corner. And here's what's great about sharing your street corner. Wherever you've come from and wherever you are in that moment, it's not right or wrong. It's just where you're standing right now. You see? And the truth is, is that when we can love one another and give support for one another and encourage one another, and then just say to people what we're trying to reach, why don't you share your street corner? I'm going to share my street corner. I've been wanting to reconnect with you, but it just seems like every time we have a conversation, it's just like a blow up waiting to happen. And even when I say hi or good morning or anything like that, it just feels like things are boiling under the surface. That's my street corner. And my street corner is also that I want something different. You're my daughter. I love you. I don't want this to be a thing. Every moment that we spend time in the same proximity, I don't want that. You see, sharing my street corner. That's all you do. That's all you have to do. And it hopefully opens dialogue. And then you can turn to them and say, well, just share your street corner. I won't judge you. I won't say you're wrong. But let's just at least start talking about where your street corner and my street corner relate to one another. All right, let's go to our next slide very quickly. Every time you speak, you're exercising the power of creation. What you say or what you do not say, you help define what others think, what others believe, and what others understand about you. Communication is an incredibly powerful tool. Use it wisely and use it carefully. I've shared with this with you two or three times, but I think that it's powerful, and I think it's important for us to know. Let's go to our next slide. Big question is, what message are you sending to others when you communicate or don't communicate with them? Be aware and be proactive and make wise choices on that. And then let's go to our final uh, slide here before I kind of close this down. Same I apply by every single time that we've gone through this. Write in the person that you need to reach and commit to texting them or sending them a video, calling them, talking to them, whoever they are, whoever it may be. Do something about that this week. Something small, but something that moves things forward. Now, all right. Have you guys ever noticed, I'm closing it all down right here. Have you guys ever noticed that the best way to tell when a movie is made is to look at the technology? I, I, I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about it, but this is what cell phones, and I mean, that's 23 years ago for that matter, right? Like if you've ever seen a movie and you're like, man, this is a great movie, and then they pull out a cell phone that's like this big, or go to a payphone. Like, yeah, payphones were, how many of y'all remember what a payphone is? Any of y'all? How many of y'all remember that you literally used to have to pay for long distance calls? All right. Whole nother story, whole nother preaching. This is embarrassing. If you see the cars in movies, it also just is like, you know, just like, oh, just terrible. That car right there is called a Chevy Spectrum. You know why I know? Because my dad owned one, a 1986 Chevy Spectrum. And guess who was turning 16 right around the area of 1986? Guess what happens when young boys who love cars, love speed, drive their dad's car that happens to be new, even if it is a Chevy Spectrum, 
Guess what happens when they're driving? They often get in. Guess who got in a wreck? That's right. Yeah. You didn't have to say Randy. You did. Our words can hurt. That's the whole point. <sighs> Teasing Terry. <laughs> yes, Randy. I'm 16 or 17, and I'm not a very good driver. I think I'm a good driver. I'm not a very good driver. And so I'm driving, and I'm at this I-240 and I-35 in Oklahoma City where we grew up. And literally, I'm looping around to go pick up the girlfriend before Shelly became my girlfriend. That's how long ago it was. And so I'm literally like looping around, and I look back, and there's an opening. And I look in front, and the person in front of me starts to go. And I look back again, and I look back, and there they are, all the brake lights on, all the momentum stopped. Jam the brake. I mean, I'm literally touching the floor, it feels like, you know, it just feels that way, I'm sure. But I'm like, and I cannot. And I, if you've ever been in a like tailgating somebody and hit somebody, it's just this terrible feeling. It's like, you know that you need to stop, but you can't make it stop. And so you're like, oh, and here it comes, and everything within me is tense. And I'm not wearing a seatbelt, by the way. That's when you didn't actually have to wear a seatbelt. Yes, I'm very, very old and not very smart. I hit into the back of this vehicle. The crunch is just awesome. It's just like... And I literally like come up out of the seat and I come back down and I'm just like, you know, I'm fine. I'm good. And I look at the back bumper of this Suburban and it's a tank. I mean, it is a tank. It's like not a scratch on it. And so I have hope, and I get out of my vehicle, that is my dad's vehicle, and I walk to the front of it, and the Chevy Spectrum is not a tank. It is new, but it is no longer nice. The whole thing is just crunched in. It was terrible. It was awful. And so, y'all know what is coming through my mind next has nothing to do with my girlfriend. It's like, oh no, I got to call and tell my dad. That's right. And I got to go and call my dad. So I am 52 years old. So this makes this about 35, 36 years ago. And I can still remember my dad's voice when I called him. And I said, Dad, I had a wreck. And the first thing that he said to me, in a voice that sounds a lot like mine right now, is, are you okay? And I can't even tell you, I can't even think about that without crying because he did not care at all about a vehicle. He cared first and foremost about me. I can't even convey to you how much that means. But if you've had that happen, you know how much that means. I know I wasn't driving a Ferrari. <laughs> I know my dad didn't have a great car or anything like that. But knowing that I was the one who screwed up, 
but he cared first and foremost about me. Made all the difference in the world. So I think to myself, in that moment, I'm grateful for the way that he spoke to me and I'm grateful for the way that he communicated my value and worth to him. I just, I think so many times all the stuff that's happening in our heads keeps us from doing a good job with what's coming out of our mouths. And I know that God's Spirit can change us and help us. And I know that we can be better. But I also know above all things, as the book of Proverbs says, the tongue has the power of death and life. Let yours always, always, always bring life. And Lord, may it be this way for us, not because we are able, but because you can help. And God, we know that we are apt at times to say the wrong things at the wrong times. But even when that happens, Lord, never allow us to be too proud to backtrack, to say I'm sorry, to once again convey to those that we love how much we love them. Lord, we're not going to reach those that we love just simply by actions alone. It's going to take our words, and that's where we have to have your help. Lord, begin inside of us. Let us be people who love because you have first loved us. May we forgive because you have forgiven us, and may all of these things be wrapped up in a way that you watch over our minds and our mouths so that when we do finally come to the time where we open our mouths and our lips to speak, that we, like you, speak life. In Jesus' name we pray.